that is missing in a lot of churches where we're quick to identify men with gifts and invest in them. But are we also looking for women who are gifted in teaching, women who have a mind for theology? And are we investing in them in the exact same way that we're investing in our men saying you are equally valuable. Now you will serve in different roles, but your value is the same. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to continue this theological discussion in a car? Or in a jailhouse from the cops? Welcome back to Everything Just Changed, where we are in the midst of a series of conversations on power that will not be cut short. Today, we're talking with Abby Hutto about power and gender. Abby is the Director of Spiritual Formation at Story Presbyterian Church in Westerville, Ohio, and the author of God For Us, Discovering the Heart of the Father Through the Life of the Son. Stay with us. Welcome to Everything Just Changed, a podcast where we envision a post-culture war church and equip leaders who just can't even anymore. Well, I'm really excited about today's conversation, just to maybe set the stage a little bit. Uh, Brad and I have been, we've been doing this series on power. And we've been talking about the way as Christians, we've often ignored power dynamics, especially in the church. We've just sort of assumed that they're, it's good when we have power, but haven't been very reflective or self-critical about the way that we use power. And so we've had a lot of great conversations about power in this series. We've talked about power in politics, power and race, a bunch of topics. And to be honest, we kind of thought we were done. But I was talking with a friend who said, you know, you didn't talk about power and gender. And I wasn't really sure that we could do that well, because we don't really want to have a debate about complementarianism versus egalitarian positions. Uh, There's definitely a place for that. But so often it feels like the conversation comes out of a place of scarcity. And we argue about what women can or can't do in the church. And often we're just unhappy unless everybody lines up with the way that we want those questions to be answered. And because Brad and I weren't particularly interested in having that conversation, we, uh, if we're honest, I think maybe avoided the topic. And then I was at a conference (laughs) and I heard Abby Hutto speaking at that conference about the role of women in the church. And I thought, this is how we can have that conversation. So Abby, I'm so excited that you are here with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's fun. Yeah. So Abby, you spent 10 years as the director of women's ministry in a church, and then you've recently shifted your focus a bit and you're now the director of spiritual formation. So in those contexts, you've worked with both men and women in the church. Um, So, okay, this is like a really maybe basic question, but I think that a lot of the discussion about the role of women stems from this place. So are men and women the same or are we different? And how should we think about that? (laughs) That's a great question. Um, We are the same in many, many ways, but I think we approach life, scripture, relationships, um, especially life in the church from very unique vantage points. And it's been really fun. I was a director of women's ministry for 10 years, like you said, and I've been director of spiritual formation for three. And to have the opportunity to work with both men and women um, side by side has been just really exciting to see the ways that God has designed us uniquely um, and yet 
to do equipping us to do the work that he's called us to do in our own unique way. And so, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been really fun to see that. And, um, and I think for me, especially it's so easy to believe. And I mean, you guys have covered this so much in your conversations on power already, that the way that we do things is the right way to do them. Mm -hmm. And so when only working with women and as a woman, it was so easy to say, but this is the way we should approach things because this is valuable and this is right. But it's actually been really good for me to work with men and to see, wait, like there's some real valuable ways in which we both approach life. And when we separate from one another, we miss the value of each other's voices and the value of each other's perspectives. And we, we don't minister as holistically as we could when we work together. That's super helpful. It, it almost seems like the topic of power itself, at least maybe maybe this is my bias, but it feels like a masculine topic. As I was just thinking about this conversation, it feels like we're talking about force and getting things done <laughs> and how we use that in a Christian way or how we fail to use that in a, in a biblical way. So Abby, you've, you've, you've talked about uh, the book gentle and lowly, <laughs> which came out early on in the pandemic and you, and how that it really mm -hmm. spoke to you in a time when we were afraid really needed to be comforted, some have that, have that reassurance. And, um, and this book pointed out the compassion and tender heart of God toward his people and in all of our brokenness and frailty is, is that part of what you're describing? Like what, like, I guess more generally, what are we missing out on when most of the teaching we hear on the Bible is coming from men? Is that one of the things that is, uh, like there's, it's, it's scratching an itch and a gap that has been there and shouldn't be. Absolutely. And I do think that that is one of the main things that, um, that women bring to the table is this viewpoint into the compassionate heart of God and, and his desire to be close to us and a desire to be in an intimate relationship with us. And, and in many ways, like I, I joked about this when I was speaking at the conference that Bryce was talking about, um, I joked about how men often approach with head and women approach with heart. And yet God is both head and heart. <laughs> he is, he is, all of this beautiful truth, but he's mm. also this really beautiful heart towards us. And I believe that when we, when we tend to only have the voices of men, we have a lot of really great head knowledge, but we need women to help put, take that head knowledge and, and wrap it in heart language and wrap it in, in the beating heart of Christ for us. And I love Dane's book. Cause I felt like he did that so beautifully taking beautiful truths that are deep mm. and rich, but also saying, don't just stop there. Don't just stop with what you know. Let that seep into your heart and live from this space of knowing that you are beloved and that the father longs to have you close to him. And that reading that book was, was healing in so many ways to hear that coming from a man, but also grieved me <laughs> because I thought this is what women have been talking about for, for forever. <laughs> and to feel mm. like, that part of our voice had not been heard. Um, just made me sad because I thought, what what richness is waiting for us if we men and women together can talk to each other about who God is? I mean, that's really it's an interesting point, especially while you're talking. I was thinking about like, yeah, actually, if that book, the same book, were written by a woman, hmm. it would have been considered totally. a women's ministry book, totally. uh, regardless if it were marketed that way. Yeah. And we probably would not; it would not have gotten the the kind of notoriety and and popular acclaim that it has had. Yeah. 
uh, because it would have been more expected maybe. Yes. For women. Yes, absolutely. And that yeah. to me is a, that as an author, that's a source of grief <laughs> just because. Oh, sure. I, oh yeah. Yeah. I recognize that, um, I published a book with, um, PNR publishing and one of the first conversations I had with them was I do not want to be labeled as a, a author for females. I am a woman who wrote mm. a book, but I very intentionally, um, every chapter in my book starts with a story. I made sure I had half of the stories were from men and half were from women because I did not want to be put in this camp of this is a book for women only. But as a woman, it's actually really difficult to break that barrier. Whereas men break that barrier yeah. all the time. Women are always reading books by men. Yeah. It's interesting just as I'm like cataloging and thinking of, of trying to think of examples of books written by women uh, that are general audience. The only ones I can think of or, and I don't even, I can't even think of anything specific, but it, it, it requires them to have like a pretty robust academic set of credentials in order to, to break through that. Absolutely. And so you, you see that more on the kind of the academic side, not much, but more than kind of general audience type Christian living books. So that's, yeah, uh, yeah that's really, I hadn't, I don't think I've thought of it as starkly as, as what you're describing before. Yeah. That's really interesting. And sad. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I'm really sorry. Oh, thank you, Brad. Hey, so let's yeah. talk about the Bible for a minute um, and what the Bible tells us about God, but also about men and women. Okay. So in Isaiah 49, the prophet Isaiah describes God using the language of a nursing mother. Uh, it's a passage that I think that many of us are familiar with, but I, I heard you talk about this again at the conference we were at together. I, I say we were at the conference together. Like you were speaking at the conference. I was just there. <laughs> but, but we, you know, we, we, I, I, I was reflecting on that and thinking we tended like hear that passage referenced and then sort of quickly move on. It, it's like, it's like the proof text for God is not a man. Yeah. <laughs> right? But you talked about it in such a a way that brought out the the depth. Can you help us understand the significance yes. of the Bible describing God in, in in that language? Absolutely, and I think Brad has actually really hit the nail on the head there as well with talking of like, for instance, most of our commentaries are written by men, um, and so we get a masculine pers perspective even on Scripture as we go to study, and reading um, reading through the commentaries on that section was simultaneously beautiful and heartbreaking because I felt like, wait, you're missing a really key piece here. Um, because God referenced, he, he compares himself to a nursing mother, which is, um, a very small window in a mother's time with her child. Um, but it's a, it's a window in which, and the commentaries did try to bring this up. It's mystical, the connection between a mother and a child who depends mm. on her for everything that he has. And hmm. one of the things that was not in any of the commentaries written by the men that I was reading um, was, was this aspect, this window into God's heart by taking on this image to describe himself. Um, it's truly beautiful because what God is saying there is, Israel, you sit in a mess of your own making. Like my people are crying out to me as they sit in, in this place where they've broken everything and they're asking really deep questions like, have you forgotten me? Have you forsaken me? Have you cast me off? And there are so many images God could have used, but the one that he says is, can a woman forget the child 
who nurses at her breast, but even if she should forget, I will never forget you. And that, that snapshot, that image um, truly speaks to this thing inside of God's heart that's so deep um, that in the same way that as, as a woman who is in that nursing season of life, her child cries and she responds out of instinct. She doesn't have to think about it. She leans mm. in towards that child to care for them. God is saying in the same way, you cry and I lean in. I respond from someplace deep inside of me. And I think that's so important for us because especially when we sit in a mess of our own making, we have this picture of God being somewhat distant from us because he knows the end of the story. Like it's all going to work out. He knows the end of the story. He's distant. Or maybe that he's up there making some kind of like divine pros and cons list on whether or not he's going to reach out to us. And this passage in Isaiah says, <laughs> neither of those things are true, that our God hears us. Mm. He hears the cry of our hearts and he leans in. instantly. Mm. I, I would, I want to make a connection to something you're saying with uh, another, like before this series that we've been doing uh, last summer, we had an interview with Jackson Wu, who uh, has an amazing record and has written a lot about how, because of our Westernness, we have significantly neglected the dimension of shame and how God's love and grace meets us, not just in our guilt, but also in our shame. And I heard that language throughout yes. everything you just articulated. And I've been frustrated, um, just as my in in my own understanding and growing like learning about how scripture was, you know, written in a Middle Eastern culture where shame is all around and it's part of the paradigm and the categories mm -hmm. that they're using, et cetera. Like, I, the commentary writers don't engage with that very often, and I wonder if that's an. It's not just that we are, you know, Western in our horse blinders, but also uh, gendered in our horse blinders in the sense that like we are, we're missing out on the, the dimension of shame because what you, that's what I heard when you were describing that, that posture is yes, there is a feminine aspect of that, but it's not just a feminine thing. It's a, it's a shame uh, dimension that, oh my God, how, I, I know a lot of men mm. who are longing to hear that about mm. God. Um, and that just, man, that you're connecting a lot of dots. Well, and I think that, that is again, the connection between head and heart, this idea that we think that God approaches us from his head. Mm. And yes, he does, yeah. but he also leans in with his heart and he doesn't look at us and, and try to decide whether or not he's going to be faithful to us. He is faithful. He is leaning in. And therefore anything that we receive from him comes from a hand that loves us from a heart that leans towards us. And I do believe just as a woman reading scripture, that jumps out at me so much is just this, this heart of God that persists and persists and persists and chases us down hmm. because of his great love for us. I love the, the imagery. Uh, you know, my wife and I have four kids. So while I have obviously not nursed any children, I've watched my wife nurse four. <laughs> and, you know, what does it say? Can a woman forget her nursing child? In, in my experience, you can forget a lot of things during that time. But but the nursing child is not the one that's ever <laughs> going to be forgotten. Yeah. And that's really beautiful. Mm. In fact, once that season is over, you often feel like you are forgetting something <laughs> because that child has been so intimately connected with you for that season of life that you feel like they should yeah. go everywhere you go. And so it is, it is beautiful that God expresses his heart towards us in that way, that you are the thing that's always mm. on my mind. 
And then I lean in towards you out of instinct and desire and compassion. Yeah. So, so the Bible uh, wonderfully talks about God in, in feminine language. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the way the Bible talks about the role of men and women. I think it's striking that one of the first things the Bible says about women, women and men is it is not good for a man to be alone. (laughs) Um, Yes. We should have that written into our creed somewhere. Uh, but then, but then God says, "I will make a helper fit for him." And and I think that there's a lot of controversy, maybe a lot of frustration around that word "helper." Absolutely. Um, so the Hebrew word there is "azer." Could you, could you tell us about talk about that word? What what that what does yeah. that word mean? Well, that was life changing for me um, because I did grow up in a denomination where. Um, elders were male and um, women were helpers. And, and I think, especially having listened to some, some of your other um, podcasts on power, just the sins of our culture, even impact the way we understand language. And so this idea of helper, um, we, we see it as weakness and, and we even have now this layer of sinfulness on top of that, where we relegated a race of people to be the help. And so there's a shame associated with that word. Um, and, and we've muddied the waters there. And so by our own sinfulness, and so to, to go back and, and go to what is the original design here, what did God intend for us as women? And I love the word Azer, um, because it's exactly what you said. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will send him my Azer help and I will put it in the form of a woman. And so this Azer help, um, Azer means help. And that's why we get the word helper from, but all throughout the Psalms, God describes himself as the Azer help of Israel. And I love those places in the Psalms. Um, and I have a whole list of them, which we don't have time to go through, but, <laughs> but I love that in those, in those moments, the people of God cry out to him and his compassion is stirred up within him and he helps. And so it is this rescuing, strong, supportive arm of God that comes in. That's what the azer of God is. That's what the help of God is. It sees a person in need and feels compassion towards them and brings his strength to come in and rescue and save and uphold and uplift those who are weak and those who are broken and those who have downtrodden. And that is what women in our DNA, that's what we were made to be. We were made to be this strong rescuing arm that comes in and supports what is weak and what is broken with compassion and with strength. Man, I <laughs> I have a question about this because I'm uh, I'm working on a talk that is talking about you know institutions and identity. And one of the things that struck me in in Genesis two, when Adam is placed in the garden before Eve is there, the language when it says God that man is not meant to be alone, it bookends this entire section around Adam naming the animals, right? And that follows God naming Adam, Adam right? And then to be the image bearer of God, but an incomplete one, he's naming the animals. So it's not just the like plurality of man that is insufficient. It's also the like the nature and image bearingness of man that is in, that is insufficient uh, alone. And, and I, I, I love like yeah. <laughs> the, it, that just brings in so many implications in terms of what you're saying around Azer, like, there's an essential cultivating, relationally cultivating generosity 
that that is incomplete mm -hmm. apart from that shared perspective, including in the naming exercise, which is a decision making one. Um, that's we don't have to go any further than that, but I just want to you know point that out how, how significant that is. Um, wow. Uh, so let me <laughs> let, let let's talk about power specifically because as a uh, woman and a leader in the church working in full time ministry, I'm I'm sure maybe once or twice you've experienced some kind of imbalance of power uh, in the midst of that, and so I, I would just love to hear like. What has that experience been like generally, uh, the, that imbalance? Um, and, and what is the kind of flourishing alternative vision uh, that we should have for men and women working together in the kingdom of God? Well, I, th I love how, what you just said as you're leading up into that. It's not just that Adam can't do the job by himself. He does need help to do the job, but he can't know oh. God by himself. Yes. We have to have one another. There are aspects of God's heart that I will never see without the presence of men in my life. But there's aspects of God's heart that men will never see without the presence of women to show them and reflect to them who their God is. And to me, I feel like that's where our churches mm. have been really anemic. We, we read books written by men. We listen to sermons preached by men, liturgy written by men, worship led by men. And, and I, again, I don't have a problem necessarily with that, but where I feel sad is that there's, there's this whole other part of God that we're missing because we don't have the voices mm. of women at the table. And so for me, I feel like that's, if I could sum it all up under one umbrella, that's been the heartache of growing up in, in this culture, but also now working here um, is just this feeling of, wow, women really don't have a voice. We don't have a vote. And I, and that, that is in line with what our book of church order says, but we don't have a voice and that's not in line with what God says is good. And so um, to me that, that has been just really hard to be in leadership and to be given responsibility, but not necessarily to be given a place where my voice has been heard and where my concerns have been able to be voiced and my, my wisdom has been asked for. Um, and it's, it does sometimes create for women this space where we feel like we have to sh push and shove our way in um, but if you're like not an 80 on the Enneagram as a woman, that's going to be really hard for you. And so that's why I adore women who are eights on the Enneagram. Um, but it just, it creates a place where, where we don't feel seen and valued and wanted, and yet we bear the image of God here. And so my, that's been my heartache. And I guess this, the follow-up question that you asked, which I think was ask that second part of your question again. What would an alternative look like? And maybe a way to bridge into that uh, would be like, do you have any examples maybe, uh, or, uh, you know, without throwing anybody under the bus, of course, I'm sure you don't want to put you on the spot with that, but just like, you know, what are some examples of like decisions or strategies or like things done in general in the church that you're, that you can remember where you were like, man, you would have actually reached a different conclusion or a different decision if the voices of women were more actively uh, included in their perspective. Yes. Well, and I think that's actually one thing that's really interesting about, I'm PCA as well, so um, the same as both of you, but one of the things that we, um, one of the places of freedom that we don't exercise is that session meetings are truly meant to be open unless they go into, you know, what we call executive session. Um, 
And that really is only supposed to happen when we're making very, when our elders are making very sensitive um, decisions. So most of our session meetings should be open to the public, which means any member of the church can go. And yet very few churches actually practice an open session. And so the sadness of that is we don't, we don't have a place where we invite the congregants. Mm. And remember, that's not just women, it's men who aren't elders as well to come in and say, here are the things that we're seeing. Here are the places where we hurt. Here are the needs and the you know, desires of our church where our elders sometimes do business, mm. the business of the church separate from the people of the church. And so um, I'm my last church that I was a part of where I was the director of women's ministry. That was one of my one of the things I loved most is that mm. in my time there, we began to practice more open sessions. And they even before I left, even put in place what they called um town hall meetings where one session a quarter, they advertised it weeks in advance and the entire congregation was invited to attend. And that was such a beautiful, I just loved that from that church that, that they really, they took that seriously. Mm. Um, and then going into planting the church that we're a part of now, uh, which is a church plant of that church. Um, we, because of what we saw our church go through to get to those sure. town hall meetings, we were like, hey, from the beginning, we're going to set into place this idea that men and women work together to parent mm -hmm. the people of God. And so for us, what that looks like, uh, and it's you know nice that we're a small church plant, so we can do this from the beginning. We have our elders um, that we are now um, training and putting into place will always meet with women at the table to discuss the matters of the care of the people of God until they have mm -hmm. to go into an executive session. So we're kind of making it the norm that um, women are invited to those meetings and specifically yeah. sought out. Like we, um, our pastor has asked women that he says, you, you mm -hmm. have wisdom and we need mm -hmm. it. I want you at these meetings. I mean, that, I think it's, um, I, I love what you just said. I, I'm imagining some people might have their hackles up, but I, I'm also uh, the, the first church I was a pastor at right out of seminary that would not have been the case. We, the women would not have been invited to the session meeting, the elder meeting. But I noticed what often happened is we, we would have a conversation and then the elders would go home <laughs> and talk with their wives. <laughs> and yep. then we would have to come and revisit the conversation that we'd yeah. had the month before. And so we, I mean, isn't that um, just uh, kind of illustrating the point that you're making that we actually need multiple perspectives here yeah. um, and we're going to get the, them one way or the other probably. <laughs> yeah. And so maybe it would be better to expedite the process. Right. Well, and to do it in a way that honors the humanity of, yes. of all of the members of the congregation. Yeah. And just as an FYI, until until this church, I actually have not been an elder's wife. And so one of the things that I have said from the get-go as we planted this church is, hey, let's not just invite elders' wives' voices into the conversation. What about our single women? Mm. What about you know women who aren't married to elders? Their voices matter too. So really looking at that leadership team and saying, elders are, are a central part of that, but are we including voices from all over our congregation that represent different ways of thinking and different places in life so that as we make decisions for the family of God, we have considered, you know, the people of God that we serve. That's awesome. Well, well yeah. so, you know, Bryce said there may be some people who have their hackles up and it might be, be I think it's probably more likely that it's because uh, the idea of having a, you know, an, an elder decision-making strategy meeting, uh, 
with an open audience to chime in is more stress. Sounds really stressful too, but it it is. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, Like, you know, we didn't talk about this part of our reasoning publicly for a reason. Uh, (laughs) But like what, you know, for those, for people who, you know, maybe are hearing the vision that you're describing and they're like, man, that sounds awesome. But like, the roadblocks feel maybe insurmountable or, or like maybe they have some hangups or maybe they're, they have a background or experience where like, particularly maybe on staff where men and women working together, like went really poorly, uh, within the church because there wasn't like a, I don't know, a a healthy accountability happening too. Like, so what, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have no idea what some of those hangups are because I'm sold on your vision, by the way. But, but like, it, yeah. what are some of the things that you've heard? <laughs> and like, how would you encourage the uh, overcoming those hangups? Absolutely. And I think it is harder to retrofit that into an existing, an existing structure. It's easier when you're a church plant and you can put it in from the beginning. Totally. Um, but one of the things that I, I have seen work really well, and, and on our last church, this is how we started that ball rolling. My pastor just invited me to come to session meetings as a staff member. Hmm. And that seemed like an okay bridge for those who weren't sure that they felt comfortable because they thought, well, we've hired Abby to do this work. It might be good to hear from Abby what the work, how the work is going. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so I went in there really with the goal of um, listening to understand because mm. I knew, and, and my pastor now even says from the get-go, women, we want your voice, but you will not have a vote. <laughs> and that needs to be understood that the voting that happens is done by, by the elders. But how much easier is that to accept when you know your voice has been heard? And when you see the process as it unfolds, and even if you don't agree with the end product, you were there while that wrestling happened. And you know that Mm. the needs of the congregation were considered, but we now have to go this direction. It's so much easier to submit to that kind of leadership. And so when you begin to explain to people who feel uncomfortable, men who feel uncomfortable with that model, saying, hey, the goal is that you would come out of this with women who say, hey, you may not agree with them, but I was there when they made that decision. And I can tell you it was covered in prayer. And I can tell you that they worked hard and they listened well. And you almost, the beauty of it is you get some some women in your corner who are going to go to bat for you when other people begin to criticize the things that you do. And as I said at that conference we were at, Bryce, you want a mama in your corner. <laughs> yes. I mean, that was, that was one of my takeaways actually from your talk and I'm trying to, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting applications, you know, <laughs> Enneagram eight mamas in your corner. That's right. You want those Enneagram oh, yeah. eight mamas in your corner. For sure. Yeah. Well, Abby, maybe if we zoom out a little bit, even thinking about this more in just in the context of American culture, when we talk about power, I think the way that we tend to think about power as Americans is in terms of equality. Um, And and so, I mean, uh, is power always an issue of authority? Does it, is there, um, you know, does it demand an equal paycheck? I'm thinking about, I won't name them, but I I have uh, this band I like, a female singer, and they, they have a song the title, I don't know if this is the title of the song, but one of the, the lyrics is being a woman is a full-time job. And actually my wife asked me, what do you think about that song? <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's funny. My, my, my first response was, well, I don't think they're Republicans, but, <laughs> but that's a whole other matter. 
that's a whole nother matter. But, you know, I, I mean, it was talking about the struggles of, of being a woman in American culture. And part of me loves the message that they're uh, at least trying to highlight. But the other part of me, a small part of me at least, is saying, but if the measure is, um, the measure of equality is a financial metric. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think you understand what I mean. Yeah. I'm not saying this very well. D- yeah. Does it, does, how, how do we think about that? I mean, do, are we talking about, we've got to have absolute equality in every way or we're not properly honoring women or how do we think about that? Well, let's hope it's not that because we're never going to get a, to a place on this side of eternity where every single person has every single thing equally. And that's, that is where this does start to break down and get difficult. Um, because what we really want, and I, I a hundred percent as a, as a woman who works and as a raising a daughter who will be in the workforce, I want women to get equal pay, obviously like that is Mm -hmm. important, but it's because of what that says, equal pay says we value you equally. And that's where I think this begins to, we begin to peel back the layer and say, what do we actually really want? It's to be valued as image bearers. It's to be seen as even if we approach things differently. So being a woman in the church who is very heartfelt, like I approach the world from my heart first, I can't tell you how many times I've been made to feel small for that mm. as by my brothers who or sisters who tend to approach from the head first, as if I'm less intelligent because I approach things from my heart first and then let them work up to my head. I think that we have to examine how, what values do we put on people? Do we value, what do we value people for? And does everyone have equal value in the kingdom of God? And the answer should be a resounding yes, absolutely. And so how do we, those who have the power, make sure that we're saying we may not have equal authority or, you know, if we're using this in you know economic terms, equal pay, but we have equal value. Mm-hmm. And to our father first, and then as brothers and sisters with one another, that we hear each other's voices and everyone's voice matters. Even the ones that are, the world would consider foolish or inconsequential, those voices in the church should matter. And so if we can model that as those who have the power saying, I value the voice of all. And even though at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision, (laughs) we have that reality in life to know that all the voices were heard, you know, this, the sections of voices were considered and all people have value, men and women alike. I think you would see a lot of the squabbling over the other stuff go away. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I, I, that, I think that is, that's one of the things that's not talked about very much in this kind of topic and conversation is like, that's actually what's it, uh, what's being longed for here. And when we, keep everything kind of elevated into the headspace and into uh, the like categories that we've been given that are maybe not nearly complex or nuanced enough to be able to fit into reality. We lose that. Um, one of the ways that I, I, I imagine, <laughs> I mean, I know this from my own experience uh, is that communicates value is the opportunity to use your gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recently told somebody that like, you know what, th- there is no gift women have that should not be able to uh, be leveraged, utilized, freed, empowered in the church. Um, Absolutely. Th- it's, it's right. That should not be 
part of the conversation. So what can you give us maybe some really practical advice on yeah. how churches can better involve women in using their gifts more intentionally? Well, and I, I'm really grateful to um, have grown up in the home that I grew up in. My dad was a PCA pastor for 40 years before he retired and also was um, did a, a fair amount of teaching in the seminary. And one of the things he modeled at home was he educated his daughters along with his sons, and we were all given equal education in the scriptures. And so to me, that seems like a weird thing that we wouldn't educate our girls in theology and in doctrine and in these rich theological, just the inheritance that we have. And yet I think that is missing in a lot of churches where we're quick to identify men with gifts and invest in them. But are we also looking for women who are gifted in teaching, women who have a mind for theology, uh, women who are gifted communicators? Um, and are we investing in them in the exact same way that we're investing in our men saying you are equally valuable. Now you will serve in different roles, but your value is the same. And so that's one thing I really love about our church, our, our leadership training that we're putting our, that we put our elders through, we offer to women as well. Anyone can join the leadership training and should, um, to learn all the rich theological truths that we're teaching to our, our men who are training for the offices of the church. And so, I think a very practical way is just to look for those giftings and not just look for the giftings in women of mercy and service and the things that we typically tend to put other children in the ministry. Past, children and women. Don't, hey, don't, don't you dare leave out starting the meal train. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but look for them for, you know, quote unquote, kind of more of the, what we tend to think of as more masculine gifts within the church, like teaching. Um, communication, those things that are um, the gift of discernment. How many are we looking to develop the gift of discernment in women or just in our men? Those are very important gifts in the church of God. I think it'd be great if we were better uh, developing the gift of discernment, discernment in anybody. Uh, <laughs> I feel like anything is a win at this point. Uh, anything is a win at this point. <laughs> so I think looking for and identifying those gifts and then training those gifts and giving women the the value of knowing that their gifts matter to the one who gave them to them. And it matters to our brothers and sisters in the church as well. It strikes me that much of your advice is actually really simple and obvious. Um, <laughs> I, I actually had that thought when I was, I was thinking about the show. I was like, wow, I feel like this is just common sense. A little bit. I will say it anyways. <laughs> uh, and, and that just makes me, uh, just, it just makes me think and, and be aware of how much, Really, most of the roadblocks are not practical uh, in nature. They are uh, in terms of intention and effort and and our like need to have to actually see through this lens more, which is by definition a symptom of what you're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, but uh, also, I mean, I was a college pastor for a number of years, and one of my mantras at our church became college students are people too, because <laughs> our congregation had this tendency to view them as like um, readily available babysitters yeah. and not primarily as human beings. And and then as I've moved into different contexts, I feel like I keep kind of keep coming back to that, like blank are people too. Yeah. Um, and some of the work of ministry is just about saying, actually, this category of people are people too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the, at the risk of just 
being really pedantic. Like women are people well, too. Yeah. And and they're women <laughs> with like like you were saying earlier, like it's a full time job. In many ways it's really hard to be a woman. And the just the sheer like I talk about this with Hannah, my wife, all the time because you know, she has a full time career outside the home and um and also really loves and wants to be a mom. And we have a a six month old now. And it's that is that's a whole nother level of weight and 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 consume cons, consuming of time and energy mm-hmm. to the degree that like i mean we've i've lost track i think i think it last i counted it was like five or six uh times i've asked uh another woman in our own church like hey we really need um your voice especially on sunday morning to like lead in reading scripture and announcements and what well, you know what like literally anything uh, yeah. that I don't have to be the one to do. And uh, every, like I, I, for the first time I've had, I very recently had one say yes. Every other time it's been like, no, I wish I could, but it's like the, it's the rat race of, yeah. of trying to like do what you're called to as a woman and also somehow kind of like check the feminist expectations box um, yeah. and have a career and like check the like church expectations box. Like that's a lot. Um, it is a lot. There's a lot of pressure on women to, I mean, we, we joke about it, but this idea from the 1980s that you can have it all was such a terrible lie <laughs> because now we have, you know, even if you think about like the physical expectations of women that were to remain physically fit and work outside the home and parent our children to be wonderful human beings and be active participants in the kingdom of God. And like just all these things that, that we have that just, they do feel overwhelming. And I think that's where we, we really do need to give, we need our brothers to fight for us in this respect and to say, Hey, your voice really, really matters. Mm. And I really need it. Mm. And please consider contributing in this place. And I know what are some things that we could do to take off your plate so you can contribute it to the kingdom in this way. Yeah, man, that's great. Uh, uh, Abby, as we kind of start to maybe uh, close this conversation out, a a lot of our listeners are pastors, a lot of whom are pastoring, I think, small and medium-sized churches where it feels like you're just trying to keep the plate spinning all the time. And so I think sometimes it can feel like when we have this conversation about a gender uh, and how do we honor and empower women? We want to do that, and yet we're just trying to figure out how to get a sermon, yeah. you know, into workable form um, by Sunday morning on a weekly yeah. basis. It can feel like um, gender is just like this Achilles heel because there's so much going on. There's so many problems that we're trying to address, and really, no matter how we try to, try to involve and honor women our, in our ministries, we're always letting somebody down. And so I guess my question is, what encouragement would you give to pastors that are just trying to navigate that reality? And that's so sad. I really do. I hear you because I was the daughter of a pastor. And I know that I know that that is a consistent feeling across the board that I'm always letting somebody down. And that's hard. And I and I and I feel for that. And and I see that that is a place of struggle. And where I would say is if you are a pastor who feels overwhelmed, start small, start with your own heart. Um, read books written by women. <laughs> I can't tell you how precious it is for me as a female author to have a male pastor email me and say, hey, we are preaching through the gospel of John and I read your book and it was so helpful and I quoted you from the pulpit. 
that mm. small thing is huge to me, <laughs> like very awesome. big, yeah. because it shows me that he had a heart that said, I think something is lacking. I think I need the voice of someone else's perspective other than my own. And so to, to read books written by women, to quote women from the pulpit, you don't know the ripple effects that that can have. Another small thing that it will add more time, but it, as you're preparing your sermons, ask for the opinion of a woman. My pastor does this all the time and will talk to me about like, hey, I'm preaching through this passage. If you were preaching this, what would you say? What are some of your thoughts? What are some of the things that you see? And he's very kind to often say, you know, in a conversation with Abby this week, this is something she showed me that I wouldn't have seen. And he's modeling for our people. That's awesome. It is important to ask women their opinions. <laughs> and so, yes, that's an extra step, but it's not starting an entire new ministry <laughs> or a whole new thing. <laughs> it's like, as you're doing what yeah. you're doing, are you bringing women alongside in those endeavors? Mm. Can you invite one woman to one session meeting to give a report on her ministry? Start small. And see where that leads you. But what, what I really do believe is key is for pastors to themselves value the voices of women. And if it feels hard for you as a pastor to ask for a woman for her opinion or to read a book written by a woman or to have, like, as we have been joking about, as Bryce and I have been talking about, have a woman as a spiritual mentor. To have, a, like, if the Apostle Paul said that Rufus's mother was his mother as well, his spiritual mother as well, why why is that hard for us? And I, there's so much to that. And we could do a whole nother podcast on how we have separated the sexes in discipleship and we've pitted each other against one another as the evil um, when really temptation was the evil there. And so there's a lot to that. But where I would just ask pastors is, can you just start exploring that? Hmm. What would it look like just to start thinking through that? And maybe go to a, an older woman who's a counselor in your community and start asking some questions of your heart. So it starts with the individual. And as we begin to value each other in front of one another, we cannot, that we can't overemphasize how important that is, that we just model that for each other, just like Jesus did by inviting women to sit at his feet, by inviting them to join in his ministry, by giving them the gift of his Holy Spirit and sending them out into the world to be his disciples. Jesus did this. We it is possible. It, it will take some extra thought and effort, but it's well worth it. And I think you'll find that you'll have some mamas in your corner who will champion <laughs> your causes and that you will look at them and think, I am so glad that I started praying that God would provide for me a spiritual mother. <laughs> that is awesome. I, 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 so the other kind of half of our audience is, it is those who in many ways are, are, really resonating with and jiving with this vision that you have. Um, and yet their kind of church background is anything but, and, and, and I would even say probably, you know, either a whiff, if not outright reeking of, of patriarchy and the imbalance of power that we were talking about earlier. And I wonder just to maybe anticipate one of uh, a question or maybe a potential objection that they would have. Um, like you said earlier, you know, what matters is that we have a voice, even if we don't have a vote. And I think that there is, we, I think we're at the state of um, our perception and experience and background in the church. A lot of people are at this place where like, there is no meaningful sense that I have a voice if I don't have a vote. And we reduce kind of women in leadership, uh, that conversation to uh, one of, of position uh, as opposed to relationship as well. 
so I, I just want for those who are like skeptical of that not just being kind of like a spin uh, or a bait and switch, um, yeah. who have like a, a hard time maybe even trusting uh, the church generally enough to 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 be in a church that's pastored by men. Um, how would you encourage them uh, in in light of everything we've been talking about? Yeah. Well, and I have been through really hard places um, with being a woman in a denomination and having the gifts that I have that our denomination typically only um, encourages in men. And that's, that's been really, really difficult to stay. Mm. And during the darkest part of that season, I started going to counseling and was just talking through, I mean, essentially my church wounds <laughs> and all the places where I felt unseen and unvalued and even um, kind of the butt of the joke a lot of the times. And one of the things that she and I talked about was fixing my eyes on the one who had invited me here. Like Jesus, he mm. held his arm out to me to escort me into this room. And he is here with me and he values my voice and he has put me up on stages and he's given me a book deal. I wish we had time to talk through all the places where Jesus has just flung wide open doors for me. And she talked about when I fix my eyes on him, that the place where he's called me to right now has been to be the bow of the ship, to be pushing mm. through waters that are choppy, maybe even sometimes to be coming up against icebergs. And so she talked about how this is a painful place to be, but I will never forget her words. She said, but Abby, turn around and look, look at the glory in your wake. And that has become a mantra that I have held onto in the darkest moments where I think, why am I still here? <laughs> Why have I not given up? Why don't I just go do something else with my life? But I hear the call of God to have glory in my wake. And when I get to heaven, I hope to turn around and see the glory of Christ in the things that I stayed for and that I pushed through. And, hmm. and I mean, I'm making mistakes left and right, but I'm trying to keep my eyes fixed on him and I'm staying. And you know, that's not everybody's call. Some people are called to leave toxic church situations. And I get that. Um, but if the Lord has called you somewhere, he will be faithful to you. And the more that you fix your eyes on him and keep moving forward, you will be able to turn around one day and see glory in your wake. And you'll be glad that you stayed. And I think in this cancel culture, it's so easy to leave things that are hard mm. and to denounce what is bad instead of saying, these people are worth staying for. And if I jump ship, my voice is gone. And I actually think my voice is kind of valuable here. <laughs> and so I'm going to stay on the ship and trust that the one who escorted me onto this ship has a purpose for me here and stay because of him and stay because I love these people. And they're the ones that God has entrusted to my motherly heart to love and care for. Amen. Amen. Wow, Abby, thank you so much. Uh, I just love hearing you talk. And this has been a real pleasure. Um, glory in your wake, in my wake is, uh, gosh, I think that's a powerful I think I need image. that tattooed somewhere. Like, I know. <laughs> I feel like that's a people thing, not just a woman thing. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, how, what, what is not universal? about the longing to know that the the difficulty that you have per pushed through has some meaning and purpose and 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 beauty to it. I mean and how would it change 
how we do every everyday conflict and everyday life to say, what do I want in my wake? That I was right? Yeah. Well, and I, like, and I think that when we're thinking about this whole conversation about power and we can't just ignore the reality that power exists or pretend like it, like it's somehow crude or crass. Um, but, but the vision of glory in my wake versus destruction in my wake is such a powerful way to think about what it looks like to steward power. Well, well, and it just hit me how much we've been talking through this series about how much, you know, we're asking the question of how do we steward, uh, when we have power and you just described how to steward the story God's been authoring when you don't have power. And Mm -hmm. that actually sounds even more biblical. Uh, of a question to ask. I mean, could be me, uh, but yeah, that's yeah. just beautiful. But we're all called to steward what we've been given well. And I love that you're having this series where you're saying, if you've been given power, steward it mm. well. If you haven't been given power, steward that well, mm. because we're stewarding it for the sake of a really beautiful man, Jesus Christ. Amen. Abby, thanks so much for joining us. How can people connect with you? You're an author. You have a book, uh, God for Us, Discovering the Heart of the Father Through the Life of the Son. It's available. I'm hesitant to say, where's the best place to buy that book? Honestly, I mean, Amazon is not messing it up, so you can get it anywhere. <laughs> Great books are sold. PNR uh, Books is the .com is my publisher's website, but you can get it anywhere books okay, are sold. Great. And then um, if people want to connect with me, I have a website, www.godforusministries.com. And that's where I have a blog where I blog regularly and you can kind of keep up with where I am and ask me to do speaking engagements, which we never even talked about. Invite women to speak at your churches. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it will be. I have two great suggestions for who you might want to invite to do that. Yes. Right. Abby and my wife, Ashley Hales. Yeah. Ashley, just think of the A's. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Abby, thanks so much for talking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Bryce. So uh, what just changed for you? Wow. So you can see, I think now why I'm sitting at this conference, listening to Abby talk about the role of women in the church and thinking this is a way that we want to have this conversation on our podcast. Um, Love talking with her. I I loved what she said. Um, She just kind of asked the question, what do we value people for? And she's kind of making this you know, maybe in some ways overly broad general generalization that men tend to be more oriented toward the head and women more oriented towards the heart. But, um, and so she's, she asked the question, what do we value people for? And, and in the background is kind of the assumption that I'm no, I'm not as smart because I'm more of a heart oriented person than a head oriented person. You know, we didn't talk about the third uh, tread, which is the gut oriented, right? Which is that's where I sit and I got to translate everything from my gut to my head in order to speak it. Uh, but I, I, it's one of the ways that I thought this question was, or this whole conversation was so helpful because what it highlights um, is, is not just sort of gender issues, but it helps us think about the way that we view people in general. Right. Not every mm-hmm. man is like uber head focused and quick to speak and uh, ready to trot out something intelligent sounding. And so the, we have to take a step back and think about how do we value people? Yeah. Well, and it also tragically is right. It assumes that emotional intelligence 
is not intelligence or that it is not actually a really important dimension of making wise decisions. Uh, so like even there, yeah. uh, that's, that's super problematic. Yeah. I, I love that part yeah. too. Yep. Yep. How about you? What changed for you? Yeah. So it was something that's always bothered me about the way this conversation is normally had is that very few people are, are actually questioning the premise underneath the, the conversation which is this idea, and we were kind of getting into it when we were talking about, you know, all the different ex- kinds of expectations and boxes that women feel the pressure to check. That is, that is fueled and driven by this premise that um, you are and your dignity, value, and worth is derived from your ability to achieve or perform or to do all the things. Like when she was saying, you know, this, this idea that, you know, you can have it all. Well, what about for people who can't have it all? You know, is are, are they somehow like less of a of a, of a woman um, because they are? You know, they're like I I can't do a career and be a good mom. I'm gonna be. I'm just gonna be a good mom. Or the judgment can go in the other direction as well. And 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 I think that when we import those in, uh, those definitions and assumptions into the church, uh, it really colors the way that we have the conversation about women in leadership and in ministry too, because we're using that we're, we're still using the same premise there. And, and I think all I have to say, what struck me about uh, our conversation with Abby is how completely and utterly lacking the conversation was in terms of that premise and that assumption. Um, And it was really refreshing. Um, And, and we, we would, we talked about it, but the starting place felt really different. And I'm still kind of like, obviously, you can tell I'm still trying to like kind of make some of these connections and kind of like, why was that? What about that was like, why was that so different? Because I want to do more of it. Like I want to like, you know, when people come in and visit the table, I like we want to we want to be able to have the conversation in the way that we just did with with Abby. And um, I think it's beautiful. It was really, yeah, it's really encouraging and refreshing. So encouraging. Yeah, this is great. So what just changed for you after listening to this conversation? Let us know on our Facebook group. It's linked below in the show notes. If you want to connect with Abby or find her book, you can find links for those as well below. Thanks for joining us today. If this conversation has been helpful to you, we'd love your help spreading the word. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us as well. Everything Just Changed is edited by Nathan Michelle. Our logo and theme music are by Danny Rankin. I'm Bryce Hales with Brad Edwards. We'll talk to you next week right here on Everything Just Changed.